I am afraid that I have much news, and most of it is terrible. Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Inyash Brodsky. And I'm David. This is episode number 60. We are recording on July 5th. As always, our subscribers will get the recording tomorrow, whenever I finish editing. And our freeloaders will get it on the 7th. Uh, This is going to be a big one. It's Supreme Court season. So we're covering all the Supreme Court cases. Well, not all of them. But, you know, the important ones, the interesting ones. All the ones that we can fit into our episode. Yeah, and probably some more than that. Uh, But first, we're going to start with some feedback. Uh, So we have something from David. Yeah, so uh, I did another oopsie poopsie last episode. (laughs) Um, I misremembered the relevant chapter in Where's My Flying Car. We did not figure out cold fusion in the 80s. We had something weird consistently happening in cold fusion experiments, and then we just decided not to look into it because of academic politics. It was probably nothing, but it might have been not nothing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, thank you to Wizard from the Discord for pointing this out um, very emphatically. <laughs> The impression I got from Discord as, uh, as well, I think it was from Wizard, was that uh, it was certainly not a not a nuclear reaction because that would have been several orders of magnitude more energy than what we saw. So it was something chemical, even if it was really weird. Yeah, so that's what Wizard says. I don't buy it because one of the people who was very convinced that it was fusion was one of the world's leading electrochemists. And I would expect one of the world's leading electrochemists to be able to recognize an electrochemical reaction when he saw it. All right. Um, so I'm a family lawyer, yeah. so I have no opinion. I <laughs> didn't even read the chapter, so I don't know. <laughs> All right. And one quick follow-up um, on NATO. Um, we previously reported that Turkey was blocking uh, Sweden's application to NATO. They have since stopped doing that. So they are supporting both Sweden and Finland's applications. So it looks like they are going to uh, be approved to enter NATO at some point. Fuck yeah. Yeah, so I, I have a question if we have any, like, international lawyers or anything like that uh, in our audience. Just hypothetically, what would happen if Sweden and Finland said, oh yeah, we'll totally stop supporting the uh, Kurds and then uh, Turkey says, okay, you can join NATO now. And then once everything was done and dusted, Sweden and Finland were just like, haha, psych, we're uh, totally going to keep supporting the Kurds. Because as far as I know, the only way Turkey can object is during the joining process. So I'm not sure what like what recourse they would have. So if anyone here knows what sort of recourse they would have... Please let me know. I doubt that's a question of international law. It sounds much more like a question of international politics. I doubt there's any actual enforcement authority. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at the international level, though, they're kind of one and the same, but sure. Anyone who has relevant expertise, whatever that expertise may be. I would imagine just the normal diplomatic tools, sanctions or war. All right. Well, enough about that. We have lots of Supreme Court decisions to get to. So we'll yes. start with the big one. Roe versus Wade is dead. Which we knew was 
going to happen. Yes, we knew it. This is not a surprise. It's basically the same opinion as the leaked one. Um, this is a 6-3 opinion, but Roberts concurred only in the judgment, uh, which means he wasn't. He was not in support of the reasoning. He didn't want to overturn Roe versus Wade, so there were only five votes to overturn Roe versus Wade, which um, I think was my prediction that Roberts wasn't going to join that. He wanted to uphold the Mississippi 15-week ban, uh, but not completely overturn Roe, just because you don't need to in Wait, I saw in I, for, to decide this case. I saw it reported as 6-3 yes. everywhere. So 6-3, there were, so that's what concurring in the judgment means. So he means, so the, the question was actually like, is this Mississippi law constitutional? And five people said yes, because um, Roe versus Wade is, is trash. And Robert said yes, because 15 weeks is fine, uh, with no opinion on the validity of Roe versus Wade. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, it gets confusing when there's, because cause there's also something justices can do called a concurrence, which means they join the majority opinion, but also write separately to, you know, talk about something they wanted to talk about that the majority didn't want to talk about. Um, but when you're concurring in the judgment, it means you disagree with the reasoning, but you agree with the actual outcome. Okay. Um, it's really fun when you have only four votes in a majority opinion and then a concurrence in the judgment. Because then there's no majority opinion, um, and it gets really the lower courts uh, really get uh, lost. They they love it when that. Yes, they're, <laughs> they it's their favorite thing. Uh. Um, so yeah, I think I don't want to spend too much time on this one. We talked about it a f- few weeks ago. Um, so the I was a little bit surprised how much everybody freaked out. Like they hadn't heard about this before. How many people had didn't hear about the leak? Because it seemed like a lot. Well, no, I think I they would, heard about I it. I would venture that everyone who heard about this heard about the leak, and also some other people heard about the leak. Yeah. It's just that, like, now that it's official, you can get more of the clicks by freaking out about it. So they did. Yeah, huh. and also, I mean, when it leaked, there was still a chance that, you know, the it wouldn't actually end up as the majority opinion. Uh, there was not a good chance of that. I think we were all pretty convinced that this was the real opinion and it was going to be the majority. But, you know, there was always a chance. So was the second wave of freakoutery just performative freakoutery? No. Is what I'm getting from this? I mean, I mean, look, 90% of all freakoutery on the internet is performative freakoutery. Ah, I guess but, so. But, you know, I think this is something that um, justified some freaking out. Oh, yeah. And I think it was probably prudent to put off the freaking out until it was actually official. I think you'd feel very silly if you were freaking out and it turned out that this wasn't actually the opinion. So I guess the leak kind of did everyone a favor in that it sort of inoculated everybody to learning that this was going to be a thing and they could have a small freak out first and then when it actually happened there wasn't quite as big of an explosion because part of the gunpowder had been blown already. I mean, you could phrase that as doing people a favor. I think the the left kind of feels like it was not a favor to them because it blunted some of the response. I I still really wish we knew who had leaked this because I guess it wouldn't really matter one way or the other to the outcome. But whether it was a good tactic or a shot myself in the foot tactic is something I'd be curious about. Yeah, I'm curious about it, but I don't I don't really care. I think if we knew who leaked it, it would definitely be a shot myself in the foot tactic because... Yeah. Like, both sides' strategy has clearly been to disavow whoever did the leaking. 
and like some people are saying oh the leak was terrible but also and the other say is saying oh the leak was terrible and also so like <laughs> if we if we knew for sure uh who did the leaking then the story would be someone from the other team did the leak and isn't that terrible i guess my my real question is was the leak net helpful for the liberals or the conservatives and uh i'm not sure but it looks like it was probably net helpful for the conservatives by blunting the all-in-one freak out explosion I mean, I don't yeah. think it really changed much. You could argue that it was helpful to the liberals by blunting the reaction so nobody did anything too crazy and, you know, galvanized public opinion against them. Oh, that's well, a good point. well, well, remember, the peak craziness we did was someone trying to do a murder on a Supreme Court justice. True, so. but he didn't actually go through with it. Yeah. He thought better of it at the last minute and turned himself in. Yeah, that's true. We could have gotten much worse. That's the weirdest yeah. story. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so I've had... Uh, so I listen to Reason, and I'm a particularly big fan of Catherine Mengi Ward, and... He means Reason Magazine, not just like, I'm a person who listens to Reason. <laughs> yes, sorry. <laughs> reason with a capital R. The Reason Roundtable Podcast with yes. Nick Gillespie, oh. Catherine Mengi Ward, and two other people whose names I won't read because it's bad radio. <laughs> you could have just said Matt Studerman and Peter Welch, and it would have been less syllables than the excuse. <laughs> Yeah, but it also would have been wrong because it's Matt Welsh. Oh, and Peter Suderman? Yes. God, okay, see? I, I'm just not good with the brain. It's not a good brain. Um, <laughs> the, but Great yeah, radio. <laughs> we should edit all this out and we're you not know, gonna, so. You know I yeah. never go. <laughs> One day there's going to be a supercut of me saying that like for 20 minutes straight. All right, make your point. That, that okay, is my point that is, uh, is this... Is this less freedom or more? Because it, it seems like people had more individual freedom to decide if they want an abortion or not, which I think is great. But on the other hand, it was uh, stymieing the ability of the majorities in many states to impose laws that they thought were very important for their society to have. And now I'm really confused. Uh, it's it's less freedom. <laughs> Because it's definitely less. It, because now it's taken a decision from the individual level to the state level, and states don't have rights. Individuals okay. have rights, and no other groups or agglomerations or organizations have rights. Yeah, my least favorite take about this is that it's, you know, Roe v. Wade was making the decision for everybody, and that this actually, like, you know, let's... let's each state make its own decision and that's more freedom which is you know ridiculous because the roe v wade didn't make the decision for anybody it said you get to make the decision as individuals uh which yeah. is the most freedom i i very recently had someone point out to me that societies and individuals have different interests and often conflicting interests and that's true like Sometimes you want the individual freedom to do something, and society says, "Like, no, that's very bad. We're not going to allow you to do that." Uh, and no, for the so, most no, part, society societies don't have interests. I disagree. I think that they actually do. They they want things like having a strong military and many uh, children to run the labor force, which individual people actually have strong interests in not having children because children are a pain in the ass. Uh, so. That's just plainly wrong, and also, <laughs> so okay, so he, so here's my general opinion about this. In order to have interests, you have to exist, and societies don't exist. 
societies are just convenient shorthand to talk about certain individuals and groups of individuals. So you're saying groups of individuals exist? I'm saying individuals exist, and sometimes as a convenient shorthand, you can clump them into groups. And you think that maybe those groups collectively might have interests that are different from any one individual's interests within it? No. No. Okay. I don't think they can collectively have interests that are separate from the individual interests. All right. So back here in non-crazy town. (laughs) uh, Yes, Inuyasha, I agree that society can have interests different from individuals. Um, And that is why uh, every society on Earth limits individuals' freedoms in in one way or another. Um, I'm, you know... Not against that in every case, but I'm against it in most cases, and I'm definitely against pretending that we're not limiting freedoms when we're that's yeah. exactly what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's important to really weigh those trade offs, um, and that's not really a thing courts are good at. Yeah. And, okay. and crucially, I want to make this very clear you can make a case that Roe v. Wade should be overturned, you can make a case that abortion is bad. You just need to make that case pushing uphill against the presumption of freedom. You don't get to say, oh, no, we're actually maximizing freedom when you're clearly not. You just say, no, yeah, we're restricting freedom, but we think it's a good idea to do so because of these reasons. And then we can have a discussion. But if you're trying to claim that you're freedom maximizing when you're clearly not, like, that's just not the basis for being able to have a sane discussion. Yeah, I think Roe v. Wade was probably bad decision, but with good effects, because the Constitution doesn't have a right to bodily autonomy in it, and it really should. And that was a massive oversight by the original drafters. I mean, I don't necessarily think it was, because the Constitution wasn't for that. The hope, the, the Constitution is there to limit the power of the federal government, and that's all. And that's 100% of what the Bill of Rights was for. Yeah, but um, I think the government should, one of the limits on the government is that it so, can't impinge on people's uh, bodily autonomy, and that wasn't enumerated. Right, because they didn't need to enumerate it, because they put in the Constitution exactly what the government's allowed to do, and telling you you can't get an abortion wasn't in there. They they definitely didn't, though. In fact, they explicitly said, hey, this list is not comprehensive, and there are other rights not enumerated here that because they're not enumerated, are remanded to either the states or the people. That was the Ninth Amendment. Yes. Um, but uh, the the main limiting factor was always supposed to be the enumerated rights in the Constitution. and the, the, the Or not the enumerated rights, the enumerated powers of the federal government. It was always supposed to be, look, the federal government can't do anything that it's not specifically authorized to do in the Constitution. And here are like the dozen things that the federal government can do. Well, I think one of the things that the federal government should have been told it has to do is protect bodily autonomy. Yeah, that would have been nice. But, I mean, under the original conception of of the Constitution, that would have been, you know, kind of a... Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I would, have, I would have settled for just telling the federal government they can't limit bodily autonomy. All right, well, that's the next... Um... That'll be our next amendment. Everyone, everyone, get get behind it. Let's I go. Seriously, agree. Yeah. Although I guess it'd be hard to pass a bodily autonomy law in a nation that still has slavery and a drug war. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the time, literally. and an FDA. <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway, let's move on to the next uh, terrible decision. Hmm. 
the next the next uh, case that is not necessarily explicitly overruled, but is basically overruled is Bivens. Well, let's be honest. Bivens was basically overruled, but not explicitly overruled for years now. That's true, but I didn't know that until recently. Another scrap of skin has fallen off of the skin suit that uh, the government has been wearing around pretending that Bivens is alive. Right, so Bivens was a case basically saying that if the federal government violates your rights, you can sue them for a violation of those rights. It's exactly what we do with the state governments uh, under Section 1983, which I know we've talked about a lot here. Um, but for the states, there's an actual statute that says you can sue if the state violates your rights. There's no comparable statute for the federal government. Um, so I think it was in the 70s, the Supreme Court said, look, the Constitution says you have these rights, so you have to be, have some remedy if your rights are violated. Um, so there's an implied cause of action there. And what the courts have been saying since, I guess, the 90s or so is that, you know, Bivens is still good law. Of course, of course, we're not overruling Bivens, but it only applies to like the three narrow factual circumstances in which the Supreme Court has applied it. Um, and they get really specific. I don't remember what the factual circumstances are, but they're like very specific. So basically... They won't apply it to anything. Um, and they recently decided Egbert B. Bull, which in which a border patrol agent used excessive force on somebody. And they're saying, well, you can't sue about that because there's no statute that says you can. And we we have all these cases that say we should never extend Bivens. Um, they also just declined to grant certiorari in two other cases. One was Ahmed V. Weicker. Uh, it was where an Eighth Circuit case where a deputized federal officer invented an entire fake drug trafficking ring, fabricated a bunch of evidence, and indicted a bunch of people fraudulently. Um, none of them can sue for that because, you know, the federal government has the divine right of kings and can only be sued when they say so. Uh, the other case was Bird v. Lamb, which was a Fifth Circuit case where a Department of Homeland Security agent just tried to kill a guy. Uh... <laughs> And he tried to sue for that because it was a violation of his constitutional rights. And <laughs> the Fifth Circuit said no, and the Supreme Court did not grant certiorari. Hey, hey so listeners. That's where we are. Listeners, this is why I support the Second Amendment. <laughs> so that you can shoot federal agents? I did not say that. All right. The So... Does this just mean literally no one can ever sue the federal government for any reason? Uh, no, there's three reasons. What? <laughs> if you're in those narrow, narrow factual circumstances. Uh, no, the federal government has, like, enabling statutes in some things. Um, like, there's some statutes that say, oh, and, you know, private individuals can sue for this. Uh, but there's very few of them. So, yeah, the general rule is you you can't sue the federal government for kind damages. Of on on David's side here, if someone can literally attempt to murder me, but get away with it because he's a federal agent, I feel like my only recourse is to have my own ways to defend myself. Well, no, that's not what the case said. So th they said you can't sue the federal government for that. You can still sue the individual guy and he can still be criminally liable. But uh, just qualified immunity. I, yes, qualified immunity, but I don't think he would get it in this case. 
Uh, God, at least I hope not. You never know. Courts are crazy <laughs> with that thing. Uh, it took you a minute there. No, but I like really don't think he would get it in this case. Even the like insane uh, precedents we have about qualified immunity, I think wouldn't apply to a guy that just like tries to kill you for personal reasons. Okay, so, but the federal officer inventing a fake drug ring and getting people thrown in jail that were innocent, yeah, still okay? Yeah, that was pretty unambiguously under color of law. Yeah, um, can't sue him. I mean, you could, maybe you could sue him as an individual, but I doubt he has any money. <sighs> uh, and I don't know that you would be able to sue him as an individual, because he it was acting as un- as an agent for the state there. So they would probably have yeah would probably under the the rules of agency yeah he would probably be considered uh an agent of the state and they would take over his defense and then all their immunities would apply so cool i i just i don't even know what to say on that i well i know what to say about that and it's end the filibuster um which i'll detail about why that would be a solution in my troop deployment later what what is the court's reasoning for why this isn't a horrible abortion of justice (laughs) abortion Uh, abortion is illegal (laughs) (laughs) all right it's an old it's an old term of phrase uh the court's reasoning is that it's not up to the courts to imply causes of action and that if this the federal government wants to uh authorize a cause of action to sue the federal government congress has to do it the courts can't do it for them which honestly, I think is I think is wrong in this case, because um, I don't think rights are meaningful if you can't get a remedy for them. Yeah, like it, it, are they saying that Congress literally needs to pass a law saying that the federal government shouldn't be framing people? No, the federal. So every basically every state has a sovereign immunity law that says, okay, if the state commits a tort or violates your rights in some way, you can sue them um, subject to these conditions. Okay. Um, and there's also a federal legislation, Section 1983, that just says if a state um, violates your federal rights, then you can sue for that. What the courts are saying is that if the federal government wants to authorize suits against itself, it needs to pass a similar statute. Oh, Okay. Um, I think it's bullshit, but it is like well, well established in the law that there's this concept of sovereign immunity going back to the divine right of kings. Right. Uh, that the state can do no wrong. And so if if you want to sue the state, the state has to say it's OK. Yeah, I thought that was rhetorical flourish when you said divine right of kings. But no, I, you were literally meaning exactly. No, yeah, that. that's like that's like where this this uh, doctrine derives from. Neat. Yeah. It's definitely not in the Constitution. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I mean, their their argument seems to hold some weight. Well, if you if you recognize sovereign immunity as a as like a real doctrine, then they're probably then they're correct. I think the sovereign has all the guns, so there is de facto <laughs> immunity unless they right. say otherwise. But the question is then, if the sovereign says, you know, excuse me, Inyash. They have all the guns. <laughs> I'm beginning to see because the only the sovereign rest. I am is a sovereign individual, and I have at least some of the guns. Oh, <laughs> oh, David, I really hope you go full sovereign citizen. That would be fantastic. 
Um, no, but the, the question faced, the court's face is, okay, but if the sovereign says Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech, isn't that kind of saying, like, if they do, then then you can seek a remedy? Yeah. Uh, which I think is a pretty good argument. I think there is an implied remedy there, but yeah, okay. the Supreme yeah. Court disagrees. I, so, yeah, I mean, so the best case I could make for this is if you sue the government like that just means you're basically suing taxpayers and taxpayers have so little say in like policy making at this level that i could see a case for not wanting to punish the relatively innocent taxpayers for government agent malfeasance and suing the agents in their personal capacities is putting the corrective closer to the um closer to the actual like stakeholders and decision makers um, yeah but that lets the government pawn off responsibility on the people that they're ordering around i agree uh so what i would actually want to see is like you being able to sue the agencies and some sort of legislation that like the agencies need to pay it out of their um uh, oh. retirement funds or something like that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty cool, actually. Or uh, malpractice insurance for the agents. Sure, and, sure. Uh, all the way up to, like, if their premia go up too much from repeated misconduct that they can't pay it, then they need to find another line of work. Wes, about your implies uh, a, a way to get a remedy, I, I mean, I agree that logically it does imply that, but if it isn't if the remedy isn't enumerated somehow, isn't aren't we just returning to emanations and penumbras here with the implication of a remedy? Yes, I support the idea of emanations and penumbras. Because he's read the Ninth Amendment. Yeah. <laughs> I support people fucking writing down what they actually will get out of this. I mean, that's yeah. what they do in, in modern statutes. Like, they're super long for a reason because they want to cover, like, every little contingency. Um, but the Constitution's not written that way. It's written in general language, and the whole point was to leave it up to interpretation. Mm. Yeah. A and like, Sounds like something a bunch of Christians would do. <laughs> deists. They were deists. Nah, Christian they, deists. They were, in fact, deists. But also, like, I really, really enjoy the Ninth Amendment and would like to see it made great again. <laughs> so yeah Same. I, I am all for emanations and penumbras except they should just explicitly be said you know enumerate unenumerated rights are super important and there are lots of them and we won't tell you what they are until you fuck up and uh uh violate one of them and then we'll punish you very harshly so that you'll be too scared to do anything at all that might be a violation of an unenumerated right that is the absolute worst society. We don't tell you the rules, but if you break one and we decide it was broken after the fact, you get punished super harshly? No, no, no. This is only applying to the government. Oh, I'm okay. As long as it only applies to the government, then it's totally cool to have non-existent rules that you can be punished for. Yeah. <laughs> I agree okay. with David. I Punishing the government is fine. They can take it. I thought that didn't David just say that the government is the taxpayers and punishing this in taxpayers is not fine? Yeah, but that was a dumb argument and he didn't mean that. <laughs> no again i think this should all be like uh docking their retirement funds and uh making their malpractice insurance rates go up all right all right next case is david's favorite case 
that he lobbied Yay! very hard to put in happiness, happiness. and we wouldn't let him. <laughs> it is. But let it be known that if it was up to David, this would be in happiness. Is it New York State Rifle and Pistol Association? Yes, it uh, is. Versus Bruin, which held that may issue gun permits are unconstitutional. Uh, there was a New York law that required proper cause to issue a gun permit. Um, and proper cause had been interpreted to mean you need a special need for self-protection that goes beyond an ordinary person. Um, so in practice, this meant that very few people could get carry in, permits. In practice, it meant you had to be rich or famous. Yeah. Or politically influential. Um, and a 6-3 decision, uh, breaking down exactly as you'd expect, written by Thomas, held that it was invalid because it interferes with the right to bear arms for individual self-defense. Um, he did a super long deep dive into the history of gun control um, because now six of the nine justices are originalists. So the big question to them is, okay, what did this mean in 1790 when the... Bill of Rights was passed, and or, I think, 1860-something, when the 14th Amendment was passed, because that's the one that uh, incorporated these rights to the states. Um, And they looked back and decided that New York's law was not consistent with historical regulation. Um, The crazy thing about this ruling to me is that normally, when the Supreme Court's dealing with a constitutional right and a supposed violation of it. They say, okay, there's a constitutional right, um, it, so you're not allowed to violate it unless you pass strict scrutiny, which means that the whatever regulation you have is related to a compelling government interest and is narrowly tailored to achieve that interest. Um, that's how you know they treat freedom of speech, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of assembly, freedom from unreasonable searches and seizures, basically every right, that's how they treat it. This one, they said, no, we're not going to do strict scrutiny. Um, we are rejecting the entire practice of, of comparing means and ends. And instead, the, the, there are only two relevant metrics. Whether modern and historical regulations impose comparable burdens on the right to armed self-defense and whether the regulatory burden is comparably justified. Great, now do it for all the other rights. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this because it's a it's a stricter test than strict scrutiny. It's basically saying like you can't regulate this. The only way you can regulate this is the way they regulated it back in the day when this was written. Um, and if it's like a similar kind of thing, then it's okay. If not, it's not. Um, I I kind of hate it because I don't care about historical regulation. Um, I don't think what they did in 1790 should be controlling. Um, and also, I agree with the dissent, which says, look, you can't ask courts to do this. We're not historians. And if you mm. call in a bunch of expert historians, they're all going to disagree about everything. And even in this case, you know, the the dissent goes into the history, and it's like, you got this history all wrong. Look, there's like a 100 uh, gun control laws both from both time periods you're talking about. Uh, that you just ignored. And so, like, even if you... Courts are really bad at, at history. This is not what they're good at. I agree with all of that. Counterpoint, it makes it harder to restrict rights, which is good. 
Making people do a bunch of annoying homework before they can restrict rights sounds like a definitively good thing. See, I'm not convinced that this does make it harder to restrict rights. I think this just makes it easier for the courts to do whatever they want and cherry pick the history to fit it. I agree. And I mean, the fact that like you got the result you like is okay in this one particular case, but I think it's shit because then it leads to this sort of bullshit where you just like, here's my decision and now I'm going to go find a way to justify it as opposed to, you know, actually trying to interpret law as, a, as it's written. Like, it'd be much better if they just said something along the lines of you shouldn't restrict people's rights to this effect because that's bad and is against our constitution rather than what was all the little things they did in the prehistoric era back before <laughs> man had invented fire. Yeah, so so the issue is I feel like strict scrutiny is basically the same way, except it's just a different literary genre other than history that you need to do a bunch of dumb, annoying stuff to get past it. No, I don't think that's true. I think almost every time strict scrutiny is triggered, it's the, the law is struck down. It's very rare for something to pass strict scrutiny. I agree, but in order to try, you need to do a bunch of dumb, annoying homework, except it's economics homework instead of history homework. And, like, if it turns out that... Like, basically, for, for this new standard that's been created, for us to know on consequentialist grounds whether it's going to cash out as strict scrutiny but harder or uh, easier than strict scrutiny in practice, like, it needs to have been implemented for a long time, which... Or at least for some amount of time, which it hasn't been. So Right, but I'm saying this specific case is doing exactly what I said, just cherry-picking the history to get the result that the conservative justices wanted. I mean, I haven't done the same deep dive in the history that the uh, two sides of this case have, so I couldn't <laughs> really say one way or the other. But, well, uh, all right. Both sides admit that um, shortly after the Civil War, Texas had a law requiring <laughs> reasonable grounds to allow public carry of firearms. Um, and the Texas courts upheld that mm -hmm. and the Supreme Court just hand waved that away. It said, well, that was an outlier. Hmm. <laughs> um, that was just Texas. Everyone knows how restrictive Texas, they right? are, which is like, you can say it's an outlier, but it's definitely inconsistent with the idea that we have a strong, like history and tradition in this country of allowing public carry. I mean, Wait, it's it's consistent with a strong history and tradition of public carry, or it's inconsistent? It's inconsistent with that, because there was a law against it. I mean, there was a Jim Crow law against it to prevent the newly freed black people from carrying publicly. So uh -huh. I'm, I'm kind of okay saying, you know, that was an outlier, because it kind of was. Okay, but it's not... Like, it's... it's like, you can't just point to one thing that happened this one time and say, there, history and tradition. How many times can you point to something? Because uh, Texas wasn't the only time this happened. Yeah, no, this was the only I law mean, that sure. was, like, directly on point. But there were tons of other laws um, regulating the owning and carrying of guns by average citizens. Yeah, there were, like, four others going back to, like, 1600. Or 1,500. Now, frequently in the frontier west, there were laws in towns that you couldn't carry a gun in town. Uh, they weren't states yet, so I don't know if it 
counts or not, because this was not actual land that had been formed into a government, but it wasn't uncommon for towns to be like, no, don't don't bring your guns into town unless you're the sheriff. Yeah, no, he, he uh, Thomas talks about that, and he says correctly that those were not parts of the United States, they weren't bound under the Constitution, and then pretty much as soon as they were, those laws were shut down as unconstitutional. Yeah, I think that ignores the fact that there's a tradition of people wanting this, uh, and people that we would recognize as Americans, even if technically they weren't under the federal umbrella yet. I feel like that's not what's relevant. A tradition of people wanting something is not the same as a tradition of that thing being enshrined in law. I think that it is very similar, because the laws are what people want enshrined as their values. Like, there's no. definitely a tradition, even if it isn't, like, a strict legal... Well, the legal tradition is what's relevant, because that's how rights work. Well, that's how rights work now. <laughs> it's not how rights worked a couple of weeks ago. Um, but uh, regardless, I think there's enough areas of disagreement here even among like the most educated historians that it's very silly to to have the modern court hold this as the standard uh i just don't think i don't i i don't want my rights subject to the whims of historians and it's just like if you can get enough historians on your side then you win uh because there's just so much disagreement especially about you know around the, the country's founding yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that. My point I was trying to make earlier was just that, like, we don't know for sure that that's how it's going to cash out. And if it turns out that you need to, uh, in order to meet this standard, you need to do the standard strict scrutiny homework of the means ends test and also a bunch of history homework, and therefore it's harder to overcome this stricter scrutiny then it'll be fine, and if not, then um, then it'll be bad, but we don't know which one it's going to be yet. All right. I mean, I'm generally in favor of individual rights, so I can agree. If, if this makes things harder uh, to deny individual rights, then that's, that's good. I'm just very skeptical that that will be the case. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, you know, this is, again, this is a very originalist take, which... I think is insane because originalism is insane. Um, and they're not even doing it right. Because I think if you did a real originalist take on the second amendment and words mean what they mean, what they meant when they were passed, then the second amendment would mean you can't uh, deny people the right to own muskets because that's how they do originalism. And like every other case and now they're like, Oh, well, you know, it, it means, like, analogous weapon. It doesn't hmm. actually mean what it meant back then. I'm like, bitch, you say it means what it meant back then every time, except for right now. Seems very suspicious. I'm very suspicious. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, I am fine with this outcome. Like, I think... I think it's a good outcome. I'm... I don't really care about guns as a thing. Like, I know I know you guys love guns, so you're very happy about this. <laughs> um, I don't really care about guns. I don't think that they're important to the country. I don't love guns in so much as I love shooting people, and guns make that possible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't shoot guns ever, um, so I have no personal stakes in this. Um, I don't think, regardless of how this went, I don't think it'll have a huge effect on, like, violence in the country. 
Yeah. Because nobody's even trying to pass any, like, gun laws that would do anything. And if they did, they would probably be bad. Um... Um, so all in all, I, I'm pretty supportive of this outcome. I just think the reasoning's terrible, and I'm worried that it's gonna like just cause all kinds of stupid decisions in the future. Real quick, I know this isn't constitutional, um, but do we want to touch on as a follow up what New York is uh, passing now instead? Oh, oh yeah, they think will be constitutional. Yeah, yeah, we should we should mention that. <laughs> yeah, I think I had a thing about that further down. Oh no, that's in my uh, troop deployment. Oh, if you talk about this in your troop deployment, then I'll, I'll wait. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it, it's up to you guys. I'm happy. I'm happy to cover this twice. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll let we'll let David get to it. There was also uh, a gun control bill passed by the federal government. Um, bipartisan. It got through the filibuster and everything. Nice. I think like fifteen or so uh, Senate. Republicans voted for it. Sorry, before we move on to this, I do want to uh, highlight one particular uh, section of the decision. Um, so, uh, from uh, Thomas's main decision, he writes uh, Writing for the court in Dred Scott v. Sanford, Chief Justice Taney offered what he thought was a parade of horribles that would result from recognizing that free blacks were citizens of the United States. If blacks were citizens, Tanny fretted, they would be entitled to the privileges and immunities of citizens, including the right, quote, to keep and carry arms wherever they went, unquote. Thus, even Chief Tanny recognized, albeit unenthusiastically in the case of blacks, that public carry was a component of the right to keep and bear arms, a right free blacks were often denied in antebellum America. I just wanted to highlight that because it was a really fun uh, argument. If you can cite Dred Scott in support of your opponents, that's usually a good argument. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Um, so, David, this bipartisan yeah. gun control bill, I assume this um, satisfies your prior that bipartisan re- legislation is always the worst legislation? Uh, yes, it does. And it also satisfies my prior that in the issue of gun control, compromise means uh, gun rights advocates give up something they want. And uh, gun re- um, gun prohibitionists give up getting everything they want. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, it it honestly it could have been a lot worse, but it's still not great. Yeah, I haven't read uh, much about the law. Uh, I'm just going to credit Hobo Demon with giving me the, from the from the Discord with giving me this quick summary, which is tougher background checks for buyers under 21. Um, a bunch of federal funding for mental health programs and school security upgrades. Probably bad. Yeah. Uh, funding to, for, to encourage states to implement red flag laws. Um, I'm mixed on those. Uh, I've seen conflicting reports about whether they do any good or not. Um, but the good part is it leaves it up to the states whether they actually want to do it. So I'm sure the blue states will do it. The red states won't. Yeah, I am not mixed about those for reasons I'll go into in my troop deployment, but that section was actually removed uh, in the Senate version. Oh, was uh, it? So the Yeah, so that was not actually in the version that ended up getting passed. Oh, I'm... I thought I heard, I thought I heard some discussion today about it that, that said that was in there, but I will follow up on that. Yeah. Uh, and then closing the so-called boyfriend loophole, uh, which was a, a kind of weird thing in the law that so the law was already um had prohibited 
gun sales to people convicted of abusing their married partners or people they lived with. Um, and this says, no, no, you can do it to anyone convicted of abuse. So I, I actually have a question for you about this, Wes. Yeah. Um, so there's already a ban in place, uh, a lifetime ban on convicted felons owning firearms. Is that the boy- right? Yes. Okay. Uh, the boyfriend loop. Yeah. Wow. The boyfriend loop. Remember the, if you're talking to someone about gun restrictions and they don't know much about guns, which if they're prohibitionists, they probably don't know much about guns. There's a decent chance that what they're asking for is already in place and the <laughs> law of the land. Uh, so also, this, man, there's a lot of felonies. Yeah. Right? So the boyfriend loophole refers to a law, including in that lifetime ban, um, misdemeanor domestic uh violence so what exactly falls under the heading of misdemeanor domestic violence and is it actually something we should care about um it's probably things like harassment and stalking that aren't directly violent uh but are threatening probably there's probably some kind of misdemeanor like terroristic threats that kind of thing um in civilized states uh you know we have restraining orders also that um, are not considered convictions, so probably would not apply to any kind of federal ban. Um, I know New Jersey, anyone who has a final restraining order against them can't uh, carry guns um, unless they get court approval, which they almost never give. Um, But most states are not like that, because I keep seeing all these (laughs) statistics about the percentage of cops that have restraining orders against them. Yep. Uh, But yeah, New Jersey... If a cop, if you're a cop and you get a restraining order against you, you're fired because you can't carry a gun, hmm. which uh, is pretty sweet, I think. There's yep. not an exception for uh, carrying like a gun on the job. No. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, because I've I've um I've actually represented um like corrections officers and and law enforcement officers who have restraining orders threatened against them, and they're like, uh, we need to. And my advice is like, we need to settle this out of court because you can't. You'll 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 lose your job. Yeah. I don't love that because I'm given to understand it's really easy to uh, get restraining orders against people in some jurisdictions. I wouldn't Um, say it's easy, but it is. They are granted often just on witness testimony uh, with all the problems that go along with that. So and the the um, it's not and it's not a criminal standard. It's a preponderance of the evidence standard. Um, so yeah, lots of people get restraining orders that, um, don't deserve them. Yep. That's not great. Um, and And a lot of people that should have restraining orders don't get them. So that that. sucks both ways. Yeah. Yeah. And my, yeah. So my biggest issue with a boyfriend loophole is, uh, um, if you're doing like stalking or terroristic threats or whatever, and we as a society have decided that that means you, uh, and Inyasha, I'm using that phrase ironically in case it wasn't clear, uh, have decided that um, uh, that means you should have your rights to keep and bear arms taken away. Uh, It shouldn't matter who you are doing it against. Uh, So, like, conditional on that actually being well-reasoned, I'm not, I'm fine with closing this loophole, but I'm also not 100% 100% convinced it's well-reasoned. So, yeah. 
All that is to say that um, this gun control bill was much more of a nothing burger than I was worried it would be. Yeah, that was my, my main complaint well. about the boyfriend loophole is that whenever I hear someone say it, it sounds like I, I'm reminded of the poop hole loophole, and I just can't take it seriously, which is a problem. <laughs> All right, well, it's gone I, now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, any more comments about this case before we move on? David, I, I know it was your favorite, so I want to give you as much time as you need to talk about it. Um, let's see. Uh, so I just want to... Uh, gripe about something real quick um people need to chill the fuck out about amy coney barrett because like i saw good feminist hashtag allies like calling her a paralegal and shit like that and like i get it she's definitely not the most qualified supreme court justice to ever sit on the court but also jesus christ chill the fuck out yeah See, Roxy not a good agrees look. with me. She's not, she's not that lady that, uh, you know, George Bush tried to put on the court. It was like his personal attorney. <laughs> I did not know about that. Oh, yeah, I forget her name. I mean, she was uh, like a, you know, an impressive attorney, but like had never been a judge and did not have like any kind of relevant experience to be on the Supreme Court. And the, the Republicans were all like, uh, no. Dude, can you imagine if Trump tried to put Giuliani on the Supreme Court? <laughs> Uh, right? God. That'd be amazing. In fairness, a judge is just a lawyer in a dress. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, majority opinions did come out in favor of uh, limits on, uh, quote, uh, unusual and dangerous weapons, uh, which I don't love, because I was really hoping that this would be open, uh, this would open up an attack directly against the NFA. But I guess I can't get everything I want, so fine. Um, if a weapon isn't dangerous, it's not a very good weapon. I agree. <laughs> That's why I think it's a bad decision. Uh, yeah, and it was um, as uh, Kavanaugh wrote separately. Yeah. To 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 stress that certain gun regulations are uh, are okay because they are you know historically uh, uh, based in, in line. Rebuild. Yeah. <laughs> um, where he so he said regulations like uh, regulations on felons, on mentally ill, on sensitive places, um, conditions on commercial sale, and limits on unusual weapons. Yeah, yeah, and I especially don't like the unusual weapons restriction because, like, short-barreled rifles and short-barreled shotguns are unusual in the United States precisely because they've been federally illegal for uh, like going on a hundred years now. And they yeah, it sounds like kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. If they, uh, uh, if they, you know, were legal, uh, and so like that, that's definitely opens up a defense from places which have assault weapons bans from to say like they're they're unusual here, and like yes, obviously they're unusual because you banned them. Well, the funny thing about the unusual guns regulations was that you know these are. Historically, they had these in, in a lot of the colonies, but they were about, like, scaring people. Yeah. They are like, if you carry a weird weapon, you'll frighten everybody. So we're not going to let you do that. Hmm. Uh, which yeah. I just think is a funny reason to have gun control. <laughs> Colonial snowflakes. But that's like, we're allowed to do that, I guess, because that's what they did back in the old-timey times. Oh, here's one of the other things I wanted to mention about this is... 
I know you say we want to uh, chill out about Amy Coney Barrett, but her concurrence sucks. I haven't read it yet, but um... <laughs> it's she basically she so she wrote separately just to say that um, that the court is not deciding whether 19, 1791 or eighteen sixty eight is the relevant time period to look at to to review violations of individual rights. Um, which like, okay. So you're saying look at history, but you're refusing to say which period in history to look at. That's great. Um, and they have also haven't resolved whether, um, post ratification practices should be used as evidence. So when you look at like freedom of speech, like is anything that happened after 1791, does that, is that relevant to what freedom of speech meant in 1791? They haven't, they haven't resolved that either. So I'm like, thanks. Thanks, Justice Barrett. You're really <laughs> being really helpful here. Um, you know, normally in these concurrences, they'll, they'll say like, oh, well, we haven't decided that, but here's what I think, and this is what the answer should be. This one's just like, we haven't decided that. Just FYI. Yeah, don't, definitely don't love that. Um... Also, uh, I suspect that uh, Justice Breyer, when he was writing his dissent, was using a bad gun prohibitionist takes uh, bingo card as a cheat sheet, because, uh, <laughs> my God, there were a lot of them. Uh, some highlights include equivocating between gun homicide and gun death, equivocating mm. between uh, gun violence and violence, um, and, yeah, it was... It was a shit show. All right. Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. Next case is Vega v. Tico. Uh, we're just going to briefly cover this one because it's basically the same reasoning as the uh, the Bivens decisions. But it's that the, whole, the, the main takeaway is that victims cannot sue uh, for a lack of Miranda warnings. Um, so this guy was... You know, arrested. He wasn't Mirandized. Supposedly, some bad things happened to him because of that, and he wanted to sue for a violation of his rights. Supreme Court says, um, no, the remedy for a lack of Miranda warnings is your confession gets thrown out. It's the exclusionary rule. Um, you can't also sue for damages. Uh, I think it's very in line with with the Bivens cases earlier. Uh, same same kind of reasoning. Is this good or bad? Because I think getting it's your bad. confession thrown out is pretty good. Well, it, it's bad, that was already the rule. Yeah, it's it's bad that you can't also sue because you should be able to sue the federal government when they violate your rights. Okay, but this is basically just the same thing as before. Yeah, um, right. it's just they they decided another case that basically says that. Um, and people were were you know the media was freaking out about this, like oh it's the end of Miranda, and it's it's not the end of Miranda. The rule in Miranda was the exclusionary rule. And that's that's alive and well. As long as my CSIs always have that stock phrase and during arrests, I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Now we're going to move on to David's second favorite case, West <laughs> Virginia versus EPA, um, which held that the EPA cannot regulate carbon emissions because of something called the major questions doctrine. Uh, the major questions doctrine is the idea that to decide things of vast economical and or vast economic and political significance, uh, an agency needs clear congressional authorization to do so. Uh, general language won't cut it. So it sucks that this didn't overturn Chevron. That <laughs> would have been nice. But the fact that it completely ignored Chevron, I feel like, is almost as good. 
Um, Chevron was a case that where the Supreme Court decided that when an agency is interpreting its own enabling statute, courts should defer to their interpretation, which is just an insane doctrine because it's like, okay, agencies can just grab as much power as they want. And if they, in their judgment, it's okay, then the courts should just rubber stamp it, which, uh, you know, is not really what courts are for. ATF, cough, cough. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, this would have been a prime case in which to apply Chevron if they were going to do so. Uh, so the fact that they didn't, like, it wasn't mentioned in the opinion at all, I think is good news, uh, about the future of Chevron. Um, even though it's not overturned outright. Um, but what the, what, what the, the statute at issue here was the Clean Air Act. And it authorizes the EPA to regulate emissions based on the best system of emissions reduction. So what they do is they look at, um, what they think is technologically feasible for the industry and say, okay, if you do all this, here's what your emissions will be. So that's what we're going to set emissions targets at. Um, and in 2015, they issued a cap and trade plan for carbon dioxide emissions. Uh, it was super weird procedural history. It got like removed and reinstated a bunch of times. The Trump administration just, just undid it completely. And Biden hasn't even put it back in place yet. He's, he's, his position was that, you know, they're going to do a, a new regulatory scheme. Um, so this wasn't even a thing that, that was in place, and it was only there for about a year. Um, but they, what they did was they said, okay, so the best system of emissions reduction for the energy sector is to transition from coal to natural gas and then eventually to renewables. So we're going to set our emissions targets based on that transition. Okay. And what the court says is, no, you can't do that. Because historically, all of your emissions targets, when you come up with your best system of emissions reduction, it's looking at how to take existing technologies and make them cleaner. Um, it's never been fo- it's never been the idea that you switch from one technology to another. Um, and that's a big deviation from the previous understanding of this, and it would have vast economic and political significance. So we're not going to allow you to do that without clear congressional authorization. Wait, that was there? There, I, I thought the reason they did it was because uh, carbon isn't like a a pollutant in the classical sense, and so saying that the EPA could just limit how much carbon someone can put out is vast overreach. Yeah, I think you probably read that somewhere in the media coverage, but the media coverage of this has been absolutely terrible. Holy shit! Yeah, um, in- they Inyash, the media <laughs> lies. Well, I, a lot. I know they lie, but on a Wow, okay. I mean, I thought they could get a basic question of what the court said correct. Well, that was silly of you. (laughs) No, that shouldn't be silly. I agree. (sighs) So it had absolutely nothing to do with that. It was entirely about the the consequences of telling people they have to switch technologies. It was entirely turned on what Congress meant by the phrase best system of emissions reduction. Huh. Um, if that just means taking existing technologies, making them cleaner, or if that means switching to a whole different technology. Couldn't they have just asked Congress? Well, they could. And see my troop deployment for the answer to that question. (laughs) Okay. Asking Congress means asking Congress to pass a bill, and they don't do that anymore. Mm. Um, I... So my... I I feel like this was a bad decision, even though I... I'm in favor of the major questions doctrine. Just because I think that this was 
a clear statement of authority um, because the Clean Air Act is just really broadly phrased. Um, the statutory language is that the Envi- Environmental Protection Agency can regulate stationary sources of any substance that causes or contributes significantly to air pollution and that may reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. Uh, and I think if you want to say that that doesn't mean what it says, then you have to go with the non-delegation doctrine. I don't think you can. I don't think the major questions doctrine is is enough to say that 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 Congress didn't authorize this because they did. They said they can regulate anything that's yeah. that's a pollutant that that can reasonably be anticipated to endanger public health or welfare. It's just this super broad language. Yeah. Um, and I think what the court was doing here was actually like very similar was they were they were basically saying you can't delegate that much authority at a time without saying that. And I wish they would just say that. Well, I learned a thing. Yeah. Am I the only one who kind of has trouble caring about this case because it's coal versus renewables and that's a heads they win, tails you lose uh, uh, arrangement if ever I've seen one? I think you're the only person who just hates both coal and renewables. I think I'm not the only person, but God, there are fewer of us than I wish there were. Yeah. Um, this was, I believe, six to three. Um, Gorsuch wrote a concurrence uh, that Alito joined that was basically just about how great clear statement rules are which is what the the major questions doctrine is. It says you need a clear statement from Congress um, because without it, agencies would gradually increase their powers with few limits, which I think is absolutely true. And is (laughs) what we've been seeing over the past, um, when was FDR? 100 years ago? Uh, Almost? Yeah, 100-ish. Let's say the past century. That's exactly (laughs) what's been happening. Late 30s. Yeah, so you're a little little late, Neil, but, you know, better late than never, I guess. (laughs) He wasn't a Supreme Court justice back then. Yeah. He also did pay some lip service to non-delegation. He didn't actually say that that was, like, uh, a consideration in this case or that it influenced his opinion. But he it was kind of weird. He just, like, put it in there being like, also, there's this non-delegation doctrine that we haven't used much recently. It's just sitting there. Anyway. So hopefully that that portends its use soon, because I like the non-delegation doctrine. I think there are some things that Congress should should have to decide that you can't just be like, hey, agency, you figure it out. Hmm. Um, You know, I'm probably going to eat those words because they're going to use it in some stupid way. But uh, in general, in principle, I like it. Um, Kagan and the liberals dissented, basically saying what I said about how broad the Clean Air Act is, Um, but also like yelling at the court for being activist. Because like I said before, this plan, uh, the 2015 plan never actually went into effect. Like, so this was never the law. It was repealed by Trump and the Biden administration never put it back. So there was no reason to, they needed to decide the case. They could have just said, this is moot. I, I'm going to go to bat for the court there. I, um, I'm going to agree with you. Okay. Yeah. So the, uh, the um, this is something I've particularly seen a lot with um, gun restrictions uh, basically states and cities and so on have taken to passing these really restrictive laws that obviously won't get scrutiny, uh, won't pass uh, constitutional muster, and then they'll fight them for 
two or three years until the court gets to where it's deciding cert, uh, whether or not to grant cert, and then they'll repeal the law and say, oh, no, you can't, can't rule on that because it's moot now. Because um, we repealed the law, and then as soon as the uh, court has made its decisions on what is or isn't getting cert, they'll pass another uh, substantively similar law. So yeah, this mootness doctrine was just, like, it was a good doctrine for a while, and then people started abusing it, and then we had to take away their toys because they were not playing nice with them. And there so. actually is a robust judicial... Um, I won't say a rule, but a a precedent um, for deciding cases in those circumstances. Perhaps no, (laughs) Um, no, because it's only like twenty years old. Uh, But no, there's there's lots of precedent where courts will say, look, if you're just trying to like avoid getting a decision because of mootness, um, we're not going to allow that, and we're gonna we're gonna rule on this anyway. Um, I think the court should should rule more than it does. Um, I don't like when st- things are kicked back on technical grounds, um, like mootness and standing. I think if the court, I think the court should just make the goddamn decision already. Yeah. Um, so I'm glad they did here, even though I think it's uh, not, you know, not the most well-reasoned opinion. Um, let me see. I, I, I pulled out this quote from the dissent because I liked it. It says the majority's decision rests on one claim alone. The generation shifting, uh, parenthetical, that's that's what they mean by shifting from one technology to another. Uh, generation shifting is just too new and too big a deal for Congress to have authorized it in Section 111's general terms. But that is wrong. A key reason Congress makes broad delegations like Section 111 is so an agency can respond appropriately and commensurately to new and big problems. Congress knows what it doesn't. And can't know when it drafts a statute. And Congress, therefore, gives an expert agency the power to address issues, even significant ones, as and when they arise. That is what Congress did when enacting Section 111. The majority today overrides that legislative choice, which I think is absolutely correct, which is why I think, really, this was just they were just using the non-delegation doctrine and not saying so. Yeah, I, I agree that with the reasoning as it applies to Congress... But clearly, these agencies are also deeply sclerotic and prone to uh, special interest capture. So maybe we should just not be in the business of regulating so much stuff. Indeed. Oh, my God. We have so many more cases to get to. It's going to be a long one, folks. (laughs) All right. You ready to move on? Yes. Uh, God, I would love to be a fly on our listeners' wall when they download the latest episode and see that three-hour timestamp. <laughs> All right. Oklahoma versus Castro Huerta, uh, which in this one held that state criminal laws apply to non-Indians on Indian land. Um, and this is a bad decision. Wait, uh, what? Yeah. So state criminal laws can apply to non-Indians on Indian land. That doesn't sound bad to me. It's bad. That's not that's not state land. That's Indian land. Um, I, well, okay, go on. So, so there's a decision by Kavanaugh, joined by Roberts, Alito, Barrett, and Thomas. Um, not Gorsuch. So it says that um, state laws are preempted by federal laws under the normal issues, normal federal preemption rules, but also when it would infringe on tribal sovereignty. Um, and there is a statute, a federal statute called the General Crimes Act that basically extends federal law into Indian territory. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm using the phrase Indian here because that's what the law says and that's what the court says. Um, and also, I don't really care about language. <laughs> um, so if anyone wants to complain to me, go right to the Supreme Court. Um, the and they So they apply a balancing test, which is they balance the interests of the federal state and the tribe to decide if the state should have jurisdiction to prosecute someone. Uh, and found that there's no conflict with tribal self-governance, um, and there's no federal interest here because they could also prosecute if they wanted to, and that there's a state interest in ensuring law and safety, and so it can be applied. Um, Gorsuch and the three liberals dissented, um, saying that the Constitution says that federal government has jurisdiction over Indian land, and this specifically replaced a provision that was in the Articles of Confederation giving states that jurisdiction. So the the literal constitution has it in there that the federal government has jurisdiction here. Um, and there is a 200-year precedent that tribes retain their own sovereignty on tribal lands unless Congress passes a law that says otherwise. Um, so there's no, um, there's no justification for states to then assert their criminal laws inside Indian territory. Um... One of the really annoying things about the majority opinion is that they recognize that previous decisions have suggested that the General Crimes Act uh, preempts any state regulation of crimes in, in Indian land. But that's just dicta. And if you've never heard the term dicta before, this is what judges call a part of a court decision that... Do, that that doesn't affect the holding. Uh, so it, it's it's and it's there's all kinds of fights about what's dicta and what isn't, and it's so stupid. <laughs> and the, so so lawyers are always trying to say like, okay, well I know they said this in this decision, but the uh, the result didn't hinge on that, so really it's just dicta. Okay. And the there's no I, I've yet to hear a good reason for why this isn't considered precedent. It just isn't. Um, I think it's related to judicial restraint or something where they say like, oh, well, they only decide the question presented before them. So anything else they say is just extraneous and not binding precedent. It's so dumb and I hate it. And I wish they would just stop doing that. But basically a bunch of other courts like previous Supreme Courts have said that, yes, the General Crimes Act preempts state regulation on Indian lands. Uh, but... Apparently that was just dicta. This Supreme Court thinks differently, so that's what they're doing. Hmm. I guess I don't have much of an opinion. I like the Indian territories have always been a strange, weird case where they're kind of their own sovereign, but really not. And what laws apply to them are weird. I just I, I, well, interesting you would say that because we have another Indian land case. I, okay. Yeah, I I'll just say I'm. This looks like it's setting up a precedent of decoupling law from geography, and I'm okay with that. And otherwise, I don't really feel terribly strongly about it. Why would this be decoupling law from geography? Um, because the geography is Indian land, but uh, because the guy in question is not an Indian, he still gets the white person law. Oh, but that's only because he's still in the state. Yeah, but it's decoupl it's decoupling law from geography in the dumbest possible way. But it it's progress. <laughs> Is he I still suppose. in the state of peace on Indian territory though? I mean he's within the territorial boundaries of the state. 
if one state was completely enclosed by another state, you wouldn't say that it was. I mean, there there are tiny states like that in Europe, right? The only one I know of is uh, like Lesotho or something. It's a state that's entirely contained within South Africa. Okay. No, there's like Vatican City and and the Vatican, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and there's there's another one in Italy too. They're called enclaves. So you can be inside the borders of another state but still be your own state right i'm just saying that uh, like oklahoma law applies here because it's like within the territorial boundaries of oklahoma if it was in some other state it wouldn't (laughs) then they definitely couldn't apply their law okay gotcha uh so it's still very tied to geography we'll say that Uh, is unfortunate because it uh does make it harder to uh do charter cities in indian territory though yeah ah wasn't there a plan for one we covered it on uh, Happy News a few episodes I back, I think that right? was in Canada. Yeah, that was in Canada. In Canada. And they okay. they uh, take white guilt more seriously than Americans do, so they actually have more robust <laughs> uh, protections for uh, first peoples, I think they're called. All right. Okay. Other Indian case is Denezpi versus U.S., um, in which the double jeopardy clause is, uh, let's say, wounded, not dead. Hmm. Um, so what happened here is that the defendant committed an assault on Indian land, was tried in something called a CFR court, which is a federal court that enforces Indian law. And he pled guilty to assault and battery and was sentenced to 140 days in jail, um, which basically is time served. Um, the district court for the federal district then indicted him for aggravated sexual assault for the same in- incident tried him and sentences him to 30 years in prison. Oh, holy shit. Um, now, normally, you can't do this. Like, that's what double, the Double Jeopardy Clause is all about. It says, look, if you did a thing, you got indicted for it, tried, went through a whole trial and got your your verdict, then the go- government can't come back and, and do it again. Um, this, the Supreme Court says you can, though. Aren't these two rulings in direct contradiction? Because the first one says the Indian tribe land don't count as a different country. And this one says, oh, no, it counts as different countries. So that's why it's not double jeopardy. Well, it's interesting because they didn't even reach the question of whether this is two separate sovereigns. Because apparently there is a prior precedent saying that if two different sovereigns want to punish you for the same act, they can. Right. Um, Which... Well, I mean, it's not a great rule, and uh, which the dissent points out. I had assumed that was what this decision was based on. Do they have some different reasoning? Yes. Mm. They say that even though that the CFR court is a federal court, so this is not being um, punished by two separate sovereigns. Um, this is being punished. This is being being tried and punished by the same sovereign. They're just applying two different kinds of law one is tribal law and one is federal law um so that doesn't trigger double jeopardy it sounds like raging bullshit it is raging bullshit um and this is a another amy this is an amy coney barrett opinion um joined by roberts kavanaugh thomas alito and not gorsuch but Breyer. huh yeah um and gorsuch wrote a dissent which sotomayor and kagan joined which basically says uh, first of all, this dual sovereignty doctrine is insane. Um, the Constitution says you can't be put twice in jeopardy for life and limb. That's what it means. I don't know why you would 
interpret that to mean you can do it twice in this this circumstance <laughs> that the CFR courts are probably unconstitutional anyway uh, but nobody challenged that uh, because they're not courts they're entirely within the Department of the Interior the Department of Interior set up like this whole judicial system and it's like I don't think they could do that but that's not the question we're presented um, but also that these aren't separate sovereigns that when the defendant pled guilty to the assault and battery, that was a federal offense that was just codifying a um, a tribal law. So, like, there was a tribal law about assault and battery, but the federal register, like, incorporated that law, and that's the, the thing he pled guilty to. So, really, this is the federal government applying its own laws and punishing him twice. And that really, obviously, what happened here is that, you know, he they, they convicted him, he got time served. They didn't like that. Uh, they regretted their decision and then wanted to punish him even more. And that's exactly what the double jeopardy clause is there to stop. There has got to be some some non-crazy reasoning that they tried to use to justify this. No, they say it's dual sovereigns. And they just they just disagree with Gorsuch that it was a federal law in both circumstances. That, Jesus. Yeah. That and sucks. this one flew super under the radar. Like, I only found this because I went to SCOTUS blog and I was looking through, like, let's see, what are all the decisions that were that were put out? Because I, th- I figured we'd miss a few. Um, and I was like, oh, what's this one? And I was like, oh, shit, this is terrible. Why is no one talking about this? Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like a crazy. The, the, apparently, the double jeopardy clause is just, you know, optional now. Well, I hope, like, people hear this and start talking about it because that seems huge. Yeah, well, it's, well. I'm sure now that it's been featured on the Mind Killer podcast, it'll get out there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's all the commentary I have about that one. Um, it's bad. Don't do that. Uh, so next case is Biden versus Texas, which says it's okay for Biden to end the Remain in Mexico asylum policy. Uh, the liberals were in the majority here, joined by Roberts and Kavanaugh, our two institutionalists. What is an institutionalist? Oh, people that care about, you know, the legitimacy of the court and are much more, like, politically motivated than ideologically motivated than the other ones. Oh, well, I care about the legitimacy of the court. Yeah, you're, um, not one of the, uh, you're not in the majority on the Supreme Court. Mm, well, <laughs> that's, that's been obvious for a while. Yeah. I mean, don't tell anybody this, but I'm actually not on the Supreme Court at all, yeah. so. Bummer. I wish you were. Because then yeah. I could just tell you what to decide. I know. And I would do it. I'd be like, yeah, Wes is the one with the law degree here. I'm obviously <laughs> deferring to him. Um, so there's a statute in place that says the government may return asylum seekers to Mexico or Canada. And as we know from uh, the gun rights cases, may means they don't have to. It's discretionary. Um, but there's a separate provision. And this is this is where it gets interesting. So there's a separate law. That says all asylum seekers who enter the United States must be detained before their trials. But the United States doesn't have the space to detain everybody. Um, so then what do you do with the people, the asylum seekers, that you just can't hold on to? And everyone kind of agrees that like just saying, saying just do it is not an acceptable answer here because they can't. They just physically don't have the space. So... What the majority or what the the dissent says is that, well, if if you can't comply with what the law says, then you have to do the other option 
which is to return them to Mexico or Canada. Like, it says you may return them, but it also says you must detain them. So you have to do one or the other. Uh, And what the majority says is, no, look, it says you may return them. That's discretionary. And it says you must detain them. But if they can't, like, that's a separate issue. Um, And we have to deal with that on its own terms. You can't just, like, default to the other choice. Right. Um, Which I kind of, I I think I agree with the majority here. Yeah, it sounds reasonable. Um, I think, like, I think the dissent makes a, a reasonable um objection that that it says look there's this the legislature gave you two options you got to do one or the other but i think that that's i don't think that's how you handle it when the legislature mandates that you do something and then doesn't give you the funding to do it mm-hmm. yeah. um so you know i think this is a, a a correct decision um but you know people hate this decision for some reason right well the the actual result is that Biden's allowed to end the Remain in Mexico policy, which was a very popular policy. Um, his this was a thing Trump put in place that said, look, anyone who comes from Mexico seeking asylum can come in up and apply for asylum. But then they have to go back to Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Biden's saying is, no, they can come in, apply for asylum, and then they can just, you know, get released into the United States. That's very different from must detain. Yes. Um, and this this opinion didn't really deal with, like, why that's fucked up. It basically just said, look, we all agree that they can't detain all of them. Uh, so the question is, do they have to then send them back to Mexico or is this a separate issue? And they said it's a separate issue. OK. Yeah. I thought it was an interesting case, though. Mm. Uh, but the, yeah, that. The holding is that he can end the policy if he wants to, and he he is, which I think is dumb. I like the policy, but whatever. I guess I didn't like the policy. I think it would be a good policy if we had, you know, real immigration laws that weren't idiotic. Um, I guess letting people in illegally is better than, you know, the status quo. So is this the one where um, uh, Barrett wrote the dissenting opinion where the uh, rest of the court said or the rest of the minority said like we agree uh except for the first sentence maybe um yeah barrett wrote her own dissent yeah so so one of the cases this term had this fun opinion where uh barrett said like i agree with the uh decision but not with the reasoning and uh the rest of the minority said uh we agree with barrett's um dissenting opinion except for the first sentence which the first sentence was i agree with a uh, uh case but not the reasoning uh-huh. so they uh-huh. signed on for the fisc of the reasoning but also thought it was wrong on the merits no that wasn't this one because this is a dissent that would have been a um a concurrence in the judgment ah. that you're talking Honestly? about though there was one and i think maybe this is what you're thinking of where they're like we agree except for this footnote I think the real problem here is the law that says they must be detained. Like, I can see cases for letting them free or detaining them or sending them back to Mexico, depending on circumstances, but having just a flat everybody must be detained seems kind of cruel Yeah, I and mean, stupid. I mean, so if we... So what I would want to see is, like, we have a functional, uh, like... I want to work so I can feed my family-based immigration system so that we could actually yeah. have, like, a, a separate 
um, uh, asylum-seeking immigration system that we could actually make functional at that job. But mm-hmm. because we don't have the functional uh, employment-seeking and other economic immigration systems, like, we've just had to bootstrap all of our immigration policy into the asylum system because it's the most permissive one, so it's the one everyone uses. And so, like, I agree it's dumb and stupid and bad, but, like, conditional on the rest of our system being completely and utterly fucked, I can see why we would want something along those lines. This whole thing is so fucked up. Yeah, immigration law in the United States is real, real bad. Yeah. I know I've mentioned this before, but I just like to see an international deal where, like, anyone that shows up anywhere for asylum gets a hearing, and if they're granted asylum, they get assigned to, like, a random country that's, like, part of the deal. Yeah, that'd work, because in theory, if you are applying for asylum, you just need to get out of your country that's trying to kill you. Right. It stops stops the people that are like, oh, I just want to live in this country, so I'm going to, you know, pretend I need asylum, but I don't. But we should also have laws that let people live in this country because they want to. Right, exactly. I think that would that would probably be the easiest. It's just like, we'll just let people live here. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, politically difficult. Politics are stupid. Politics are stupid. Anyway, back to our political podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I just want to uh, reiterate that that has been my position on this podcast since literally episode one. That's true. And, yep. you know, every, I think everybody already knows that. Okay. All right. Mostly we agree. All right. Next case, Carson versus Macon. Um, this is a case where Maine had a system of school vouchers telling parents like, hey, we don't have enough public schools for everybody. So you guys like out in the out in the sticks, we'll just give you vouchers you can take to whatever school you want. But no Jesus. <laughs> um, there was a you could use them for any any school you wanted, but no religious schools. And the Supreme Court said that that's that's not uh, that's not okay. You can't. That's discriminating against religion um, under the free exercise clause, which I thought was uh, an interesting take. I would have looked at it under the establishment clause, just basically saying that this is favoring you know secular schools over religious schools. Um, which, you know, normally the government's trying to favor, favor religion over secular options, uh, at least historically. That's where all, like, the big cases have been. This time they're favoring secular schools over religious ones. I would have said just on uh, establishment clause grounds you can't do that. But they went with free exercise. I, I suspect for... I suspect that's because they don't want to establish for legal purposes that atheism is a religion. They really should, though. They Atheism really should, needs though. the protections of religion. Yeah, I don't. I don't love that they went with free exercise here, and I do think that's probably why is they want to not not extend these protections to atheists, fuckers, or you know, non-religious organizations in general. Dude, this case is so crazy for me because 10, 15 years ago, I would have been absolutely on the other side. I very strongly believed that government money should not go to fund religious institutions because that's my taxes that are now being used in order to fund organizations that want to oppress and destroy me and my way of life. And uh, now I'm much more along the lines of, you know what? Just fucking 
let people educate their kids however the fuck they want because it's not worth going to war over this. And if they want to send their kids to a religious school, well, it's their shitty kids. It's their shitty life that the kid's going to have. You know, maybe they shouldn't have been born to religious parents if they didn't want to go to religious school. Yeah, I'm very much on the side like the bad guys won here, but for good reasons. Yeah. Um, I don't I don't care for religious schools. I don't like religious schools. I think they're little indoctrination factories, and I wish there were fewer of them. Uh, I this think will regular do- schools are also indoctrination That's factories. That's true. Um, yeah. So, you know. But uh, these the religious schools are even worse about it. Yeah. yeah. I, I disagree with this only because I oppose mandated education on principle. And if yeah, we just fair. said, like, it's okay to not go to school then this would be moot. But if we're keeping the uh, mandatory education thing, then this is the way to do it, I guess. You want the funding to go to the student, and they can choose where they get educated. Yeah. Well, well, that's not what I want, but... <laughs> <laughs> conditional if we're going to do conditional on education. me not getting what I want, this is the second best, yes. <laughs> um, there was a related case I'm just going to mention briefly called Shirtleff v. Boston, uh, which was similar. It's uh, apparently that this city hall had three flagpoles. Um, one had the U.S. flag, one had the state flag, and one had um, let people like run up flags that they wanted to if they like rented the space and were holding events. Mm-hmm. And some Christian group had rented the space and wanted to put up a Christian flag, whatever that is. Mm. Uh, and they said, uh, no, you can't do that. And the Supreme Court said, no, you have to let them. Basically for the same reasons. Like if you let people do a thing um, and do whatever they want, you can't just say no religion. Mm-hmm. Okay, can I permanently rent out this space so this uh, city hall can constantly have the damn Jolly Roger of the Queen Anne's Revenge flying? I don't think you could permanently rent it. If I have the money, why not? I, I don't know. Maybe you can. I would imagine they have rules against someone completely monopolizing it, though. Well, I you can be, rent it a lot. I'd be happy to sublet the space. Like, I, I just <laughs> want the flagpole. Uh, well, you should um, you should check it out. It's the oh, it's Boston. This is the city. So you know, call up uh, Boston. I, Say, okay, I will I'm going to rent this. the space indefinitely. And then we can do a GoFundMe. And then they'll just say, ah, we take it back. We're only having two flagpoles, and that will be totally constitutional. Uh, hmm. uh, all right. Next case is another religious case. And this is, I think, I think our last one. Whoa. We are almost at the end here. Almost at the uh, almost end zone, they would say. at the end. Um, all right. Kennedy versus Bremerton School District. You've probably heard about this one. This is the football coach who's praying on the 50-yard line after games. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, his football players, most of them would come out and pray with him, but it wasn't mandatory, so he claims. Um, and the Supreme Court said, or the, the school district tried to tell him, no, you can't do that because it's, you know, it's endorsing a religion and we're not allowed to do that. Um, the Supreme Court said, no, you have to let him do that because it's just private behavior. Um, you know, after the games, coaches are allowed to just like do their thing. There's no rules about what they, they should and shouldn't do. Uh, most of the time they just run around, you know, talking with parents and players and stuff. So if he wants to, you know, go privately, go out and do a little prayer, you have to let him do that free exercise. Um, which I think the main, there's a lot of controversy about this case, but I think the main 
disagreements in this case are factual. Because, like, the way the Supreme Court described the fact pattern sounds like, okay, yeah, sure, you should definitely let the guy play. Um, The way other people have described the fact pattern is, like, this dude got the whole football team to come out and pray with him. Um, Everybody felt pressured to join in. There was a media circus around it where people, like, leaping over each other to, like, get pictures of this guy praying. Uh, And it was just a giant distraction and created a whole bunch of problems. And the court... the school district was finally like all right we can't have this at our football games it looks like we're endorsing religion we don't want this to like reflect on the school um which like under their fact pattern it sounds like they did have a legitimate reason to prevent this um but so i'm not like super worried about this for legal reasons but it is weird that there were such strong factual disagreements um and i don't like seeing cases decided with when the facts aren't clear one of the most interesting factual disagreements for me was whether he was doing this on the 50-yard line or on the sidelines. Because uh, I've seen both, and like I guess it could actually be both if he was doing it, it on the both. sidelines by the 50-yard line, yeah. But everyone who was against it always said 50-yard line, which invokes this image of striding out into the middle of the field and making a big production. I just picture Terrell everyone... Owens out there making the cross. Yeah, yeah. And everyone saying sidelines is like, oh, yeah, no, this was just like a private thing off to the side, you know, and it it probably wasn't either one or or both, in, you know, the way that that works. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's all kinds of precedents about like what public employees are allowed to do in terms of free speech, um, like their rights are they still have free speech rights and um, they but they're not like as extensive as like in schools. They have fewer spe- free speech rights than the students, for instance. Um, and it mostly comes down to like, is their speech in their capacity as a teacher or is it private? Um, and this, so this was also the, the majority here also held that this was, you know, um, had to be allowed under the free speech clause in addition to the free exercise clause. Um, although hilariously they applied strict scrutiny. Uh, does it matter if it was as a private citizen or as an agent of the school in this particular case? Yes. Um, okay. Just, I mean, they so they under the Supreme Court precedent. Yes, that's a big difference, and they no. I mean, for like for us. Oh, uh, um, well, we're we're not private or public school teachers, so no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it matters. It matters for people who work for the government and who work for the government in a capacity where it might be ambiguous whether they're speaking privately or whether they're speaking in their capacity as a. Uh, employee of the government um because uh the government as government has uh much fewer things it can do than the government as employer uh but for like literally the people hosting this podcast right now no it doesn't matter i think he meant does it matter in terms of what we think the answer here should have been Ah. yes that is what i mean then um well i i think it does i do think that you know if coach wants to pray after the game let him pray what do i care um but if he's you know gets up and is like on behalf of the school let's all have a prayer then yeah i think i'd be against that it sounds like originally he was just doing the the praying thing and then when he was told no you can't do that that's when it became a big thing and i'm kind of sympathetic to that because you know if you're just trying to do your own thing and somebody starts fucking with you. Well, I think what actually happened was he started doing it and then like lots of other people started joining in yeah. and it became like a big public spectacle. Yeah. 
Right. And it was something that like became associated with the school that like this is this is what this team does. Uh, you know, this is their Are thing. you trying to say that groups of people might have different interests than individuals? I already agreed with you about this. Why oh, are you yelling true. at me? David, David, <laughs> it, 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 you're wrong from earlier. <laughs> no, uh, no, David, you're wrong from okay. earlier. Um, um, <laughs> I, I, just, I just get a recording of you saying that and play it all the time. I realize this is a 1990s ass take and I don't love that, but mm-hmm. I gotta say my biggest uh, objection on the merits to this is just like, Jesus had some very specific and not good things to say about people who <laughs> pray in public. So that is a very 1990s take. Now, first but of all, it's, any you know, 1990s still take is a good take. So I object to you saying that uh, there's a problem with it being a 90s take. Uh, but I, yeah. <laughs> in case you wondered the demographics of the people on this podcast. <laughs> uh, going off that specifically, this is, again, those things that I, as a combatant in the cultural war in the uh uh atheism wars would have been absolutely enraged by uh again a decade ago and now i feel it's it almost feels more like a free association thing to me because i have discovered that being completely inclusive to everyone at all times results in every place being 4chan and so sometimes you need some walls to your walled garden and one of the ways you get those walls is by publicly encouraging people with your values to congregate and publicly discouraging people with values you dislike. And, uh, you know, the whole point is to make non-Christians feel excluded by this. And I used to think that that was terrible. And now I think it's not great. But if you're trying to create a community that is exclusive and unwelcoming of non-Christians, maybe... Some people should be allowed to do that in some places, like so, small towns in Texas or wherever. All right, the fuck. but public school football teams? Yeah, so I think what I'm hearing here is you think that this guy should fuck off and start coaching for a private Christian school. That would be ideal, yes. But also, like, if almost everybody in the town is on his side, it's hard for me to say that they should not be allowed to have that community. Like, it'd be different if it was a large city somewhere. And this was a diverse, multicultural area. But if you're in Bumblefuck, Kansas somewhere, and nearly everyone in the town is like, yeah, this is us, then fucking let them have their shitty culture. Okay, first of all, Bumblefuck, Kansas is not a real place. (laughs) I know it's a simulation, (laughs) Eniash. Secondly, I don't know why you would assume everyone in town agrees with this. Even, like, shitty rural towns have non-Christians in them. Yeah. Um, and especially if you're like the public school, like the one public school in the town, I think it's extra shitty to be like, we're a super Christian and anyone who isn't can go fuck off. Well, yeah, sure. But, you know, it just this just encourages the non-Christians to move to better places where they can be more economically productive. <laughs> Don't anyway. worry, Eniash. They already have plenty of encouragement. Yeah. Plus, plus <laughs> this right. coach is probably like the local Baptist and it makes the local Methodist feel super, inc- super excluded. And that's not great. <laughs> All right. And Eniash, you had one article about Clarence Thomas you wanted to share. I do, yeah. This is interesting. This is a large take I've seen at a few different places already that basically Clarence Thomas is becoming very influential because he was very patient and forward thinking over many, many decades, which is a thing that surprises me honestly because i remember uh 
the days when it was just like, oh my god, Clarence Thomas doesn't have any of his own opinions. He's just following along with the conservatives on all things, and he stays pretty quiet. And, uh, and, and like, I, I thought he's not doing anything there. He's not pushing for stuff. He's not being a revolutionary. But uh, instead, he was, like, playing a long, subtle, slow game. Because, uh, as as is said in these articles that I have linked, that he's basically spent years just laying out a whole parallel understanding of the law where he, he doesn't just, like, write a dissent uh, and add an additional point or something, but he has his own entire legal theory that has a a consistent, I, I want to say, almost a cinematic universe uh, that goes alongside all the rulings that he's been part of and has now, like, started quoting his own precedents in the past. And more importantly, now that he is an old-timer on the court and there's people much newer and younger than him coming into the court, they can cite his old... Uh, his, what is it when you don't concur? Uh, dissent. Dissent, sorry. I just said that word a minute ago. How did I forget it? Uh, they're citing his old dissents as uh, as justifications. And so he's basically, over a number of decades, subtly planted this field with his intellectual seeds. And now that is coming up for harvest, which is just the most fascinating sci-fi, you know, psychohistory thing. Uh, that I've seen. And I mean, I don't think it's great because I disagree with him on just about everything. But the amount of, like, long-term thinking and foresight here is really impressive. Uh, uh, objection, Your Honor. One guy <laughs> yeah. being very patient and smart and thoughtful is exactly the sort of thing psychohistory can't deal with. That's okay, well, true. I didn't actually read the book, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Inyash, well, I you haven't that... read the Foundation series? I have not because I'm a bad geek. I think you would. Like I am it. surprised. Yeah, I think you would really I, like it. Honestly, I think I would like it too. I just I haven't gotten around to it. There's so much to read, man. That's right. fair. Anyway, anyway, I so I agree that Thomas has his own judicial universe that he's uh, sort of built up for his entire career. Um, I disagree that anyone is buying into it. Um, you know the the justices on the court all have their own opinions about what the proper you know, interpretation is, and they are very different from Thomas's. Um, I think you'll, you'll see in the, you know, in the, we didn't even mention this, but Thomas had a whole dissent in the, in the abortion case. That's like, Oh, by the way, we should also overrule all these other individual rights. That was actually the next uh, thing I'm going to bring I know, up. I see it on your outline there. Yeah. Um, the, like, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the right to contraception and the right to gay marriage, um, and all the other substantive due process rights, um, except for interracial marriage. That one's fine <laughs> um, because, uh, because I'm in one. Um, but otherwise, the, all those other ones are dumb. Um, but like the, the other conservatives aren't going to sign on to that. Yeah, well, whether they agree with him or not, he has provided them with a large cache of ammunition to use for, for their own justifications. Sure, but so does every justice who writes a dissent. Yeah, I, 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 I disagree with the... Um historical record here i think what you're seeing is uh thomas is the conservatives on the court's attack dog and they're giving him more leash now because the rest of the government is being so annoying and dysfunctional that oh no i disagree with that too oh really i think the other conservatives on the court are super annoyed at thomas being like yeah now let's destroy all the other rights i mean they didn't have to give him lead authorship on the Nyserpa case, though. They didn't have to, but, I mean, come on, you gotta give the guy some opinions to write. No, you don't. 
<laughs> like I don't I don't know for sure that there are Supreme Court justices who have gone through their entire careers without writing a single opinion, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were at least a few. Um no, they well so like I said, Roberts is an institutionalist and he assigns the opinions mm-hmm. uh, as long as he's in the majority, which he is most of the time. Um no, and he just spreads them around. He but but that's like what what every chief justice has done most of the time is they mm. just, you know, they they give people an equal number, a roughly equal number of uh, lead opinions if they're if they're in the majority. Um, nobody's like um, that guy's crazy. So even though he's in the majority, he doesn't get to write the opinion. Um, now, Eniash, I think you had questions about substantive due process. Yes. So one of the things he's been saying is that all all the Supreme Court's prior decisions. Uh, that hold an enu- unenumerated rights uh, being protected by substantive due process is uh, should be revisited, that they may be demonstrably erroneous. And he says substantive due process is an oxymoron that lacks any basis in the Constitution. What the fuck is this thing? Um, I haven't heard of it before last week. Oh, yeah, he's right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. My take on substantive due process is it's a pretty bad doctrine, but it's also the only one that gets any respect at all for unenumerated rights nowadays. So I agree that it's not good, but also it's better than not having any respect for unenumerated rights at all. So, yeah. Okay, so what happened with the 14th Amendment was they wrote in there, you can't deny people equal, equal protection of the laws, you can't deny them due process, and you can't deny them the privileges or immunities of citizenship. Okay. Um, and shortly after that was passed, whatever Supreme Court was there in, like, post-bellum America said, hey, this privileges or immunities clause, it doesn't really mean anything. Um, so we're not, we're not gonna... It, you know, use that to, to do anything. And because courts back then uh, re- respected precedent, they said, okay, um, so what we're actually going to look at then is the due process clause. And there's something called substantive due process where you have these rights um, and they're incorporated against the states because to not give people these rights would be to deny them due process, uh, which is very stupid because the privileges or immunities clause is right there. And that's Didn't where all these rights should have been incorporated under. And instead, they went with substantive due process because they just, you know, didn't want to overturn that precedent. I thought there was just a large civil war fought against the people who didn't like the Constitution and uh, they got their butts kicked. So how are they just going to say we don't like this 14th Amendment? So we're going to ignore uh, it. The postbellum court was bad. Yeah. So here's the thing that <laughs> happened with that. All the, the Reconstruction Amendments got passed without those states. Right, because um, they but, just lost the war. But then they added the states back and gave them a say in the government again, mm. <laughs> which was the mistake. <laughs> uh. Well, no, the mistake wasn't adding the states back. It was adding the states back without, um, uh, let's just say, purging the uh, plantation class. And I will leave it to, uh, so as not to offend Inyash, I will leave it to the listeners to decide whether I'm talking about a literal or metaphorical purge there. I believe that's called denazification. Anyways, anyway, so substantive due process is the idea that there are certain rights you have because if you didn't have them, the other rights would be unenforceable? No. No. It's, 
um, it's the idea that the due process clause of the 14th Amendment protects substantive rights instead of just procedural rights, even though it says process ah. right in it. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, I, don't, when, I don't understand why they needed that. Because they decided not to use the privileges or immunities clause. That was a bad decision. Yeah, what we need to do is get rid of the substantive due process stuff and replace it with just making the privileges or immunities clause great again, because that will fix our problems and it'll make sense and be reasonable law that uh, people like Thomas can't reasonably complain about. Uh, but yeah, just having all of these unenumerated rights protective under protected under substantive due process instead of privileges or immunities... <sighs> just, like, leaves us with this massive exposed flank uh, for people who actually care about rights. So it's not great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would just love to see the entire doctrine of substantive due process be incorporated under privileges or immunities. And be like, those decisions, they, re they, they were correct but relied on the wrong clause. It, they, it's a privilege or immunity of citizenship that they were protecting. Um... It but, you know, the Supreme Court doesn't really work that way. I can't remember. Did we talk about the uh, case that IJ took about the navigable waters of uh, the United States? I don't think so. Yeah, so um, one of the, like, the, basically the Federalist Papers, but for the 14th Amendment, um, or it might have been actually in the opinion which basically, for all intents and purposes, killed the 14th Amendment. Uh, no, it was in the opinion. So, um, they didn't just say, we're going to ignore the privileges or immunities clause. They tried to make it out like it was a very, uh, circumscribed right, uh, that only, like, applied to, to the privileges or immunities of, like, accessing the navigable waterways of the United States and stuff like that. So the Mad mm -hmm. Lads at IJ, because they've been trying to breathe life back into the privileges or immunities clause for years, found an actual case about accessing the navigable waterways, um, and the Supreme Court denied cert. What is IJ? Uh, the Institute, Institute for Justice. Justice. Uh, ah. Super They're cool. They're the good ACLU. Yes. Gotcha. Except there's... <laughs> the good ACLU is no longer an exclusive <laughs> title. More on that in a second. When when you say that substantive due process you agree is uh, some bad bullshit, do I mean are you agreeing with uh, with the with Clemens here or Clarence Thomas rather that we need to revisit all these prior cases and maybe ground them in something that doesn't suck? Yeah, I think they should do that. Okay, um, that doesn't. I don't think that's what Thomas is suggesting we do. Right. Just but like Thomas is like, rights. we should just not have these rights. Yeah. They're not in the Constitution. Where in the Constitution does it say you're allowed to have contraception? <laughs> hmm. uh, I want, you know, the good justices to revisit them to protect them from zealots like Thomas. Yeah. Because um, he, as we've covered before, sucks. So he's right in substance, but wrong in process. All right. But you know what doesn't suck? What does not suck? Happy news! Yay! Yay! Good news, everyone! Um, and it's not going to be about the Supreme Court. 
Yeah. So, uh, David, what's our first uh, happy news story? So, our first happy news is that fire is no longer the foundational for the foundation for individual rights in education. It is now the foundation for individual rights and expression because, uh, as people have been asking them to do pretty much since their founding, they are now going to start taking uh, free speech and free expression uh, cases that are not based on college campuses. Uh, All right, another good ACLU. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, in his public statements, the head of uh, uh, FIRE, Greg Lukianoff, has been very scrupulous in not shit-talking the ACLU, but... Uh, there are a lot of people saying that this looks like they're trying to step into the shoes that the ACLU has left empty with their uh, pivot away from, you know, civil liberties of Americans. Well, somebody's <laughs> got to. Yeah. I'm glad that that hole was not left unfilled yes. for long. All right. Awesome. As a wise man once said, someone had to and no one else would. All right. Eniash, what's this about PG and E? PG&E, they're a major energy company. Uh, they have a massive battery that they have uh, finished building uh, over in Moss Landing, I guess. Uh, it's a battery that consists of 256 Tesla megapacks with a total energy capacity of 730 megawatts, which uh, is, or megawatt hours. Uh, megawatt which, hours. Yeah, which is, is awesome. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not 1.21 gigawatts, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Uh, I, it seems like a lot. And what are they going to do with this battery? Well, they're going to be able to uh, take the energy that's produced during peak production hours for things like renewables and store it so that it can be uh, used to fuel energy needs during times like the nighttime or when the wind isn't. Oh, flowing. that's exciting. Because yeah. I heard that was a big problem with nuclear, actually. Uh, they have to, like, turn the plants on and off because running them... While the uh, while the demand is low, creates just wasted energy. Well, not just wasted energy. It'll actually melt the grid if there's too much. Yeah, that too. That's why they start paying people uh, to use energy. So that all all of that was not correct. Um, hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't know, so David. They, they so in France they do do the thing where they turn the nuclear power plants on and off, but that's just because of their stupid labor laws. Um. Well, sure. The uh, Decouple podcast, which is excellent, by the way, had uh, several episodes about exactly that topic. And I would refer you to them because I am going to be more circumspect about running my mouth off about energy stuff when I don't have the source mm. open directly in front of me. Um, uh-huh. And yet, here you are, <laughs> telling us we're wrong. Um, but yeah, the... Uh, um, Yes, intermittency is a big problem with renewables, and I would rather we just fix the intermittency problem with the uh, non-intermittent power source, but failing that, I guess this is better than uh, just being reliant on Putin's natural gas. All right, and Eniash, is this another battery story? Oh, uh, also, um, about the 730 megawatts, uh, um... A uh, gigawatt hour is roughly country scale energy. So, um, oh, so that sounds like a lot. Yeah. Uh, so, or rather, seven hundred and thirty megawatts is not 
I mean, it's a good start, but it's not country scale. Um, oh, yeah, no. It's not ever intended to be country scale. But it's a good start, like you said. Yep. Uh, this this next thing is basically the same kind of thing. It's less impressive because it's only 158 Tesla mega batteries instead of 256. And it's not actually created yet. So, uh, again, not as impressive. The reason I include it, though, is because it's in Hawaii. And being, you know, as my partner now is from Hawaii, I'm much more interested in all things Hawaii. And uh, it's going to it's going to help them shut down a coal-fired power plant entirely once Sorry, it's created. Sorry, terawatt which... hours is country scale, not gigawatt hours continue okay uh which is wonderful because <clears throat> excuse me because uh in hawaii they need to import basically all of their things that produce energy coal gas oil whatever it is it all comes there on ships it's very expensive specifically uh not just because they're far away from places where it's produced but also because of the jones act and this is womp just really going to help yeah so right, i cool. i am particularly happy about this personally all right and improbably we seem to have a third battery story we do. This is a different kind of battery. Uh, this is one of those car batteries. The Quillen, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Ooh, it's uh, a Q without a U. How exciting. <laughs> I know. Who knows how to pronounce those? Uh, it can achieve 1,000 kilometers vehicle range. It has an energy density of 255 watt-hours per, per kilogram, which is a little bit more than, than the current batteries. I think they said like... Uh, 15% more around that range. Um, and, you know, it has a number of cool innovations, water cooling components inside between the cells rather than at the bottom of the cell. It supports charging to 80% in 10 minutes. Hey. And uh, it, it's nothing like revolutionary because it uses the same chemistry as other batteries, but within the same pack size, they can get more money just to do awesome structural changes. Oh, 13% increase in power. There it is. Uh, and yeah, uh, another great thing that's making life better for everyone and solving the energy issues that we will need to solve to become a Kardashian level two civilization. Did you just <laughs> say right. Kardashian level two? Yes, he did. That just ignore is it. The level I want because that's the level where everybody gets their own Kardashian. <laughs> just, just ignore it. It's not worth <laughs> okay. talking about. All right, next story. Uh, pain relief. Yes. Uh, again, this is me. There is a new implant, a uh, flexible implant that uh, will relieve pain without the use of drugs. It works Boo. by. <laughs> works by wrapping around nerves uh, to d deliver targeted cooling directly to those nerves, which numbs them. And it's uh, controllable from the outside without needing uh, to to do more surgery on people, uh, which is important because you can't just have nonstop cooling. It'll damage things. Uh, but yeah, it numbs the nerves. It blocks pain signals to the brain. It's really cool. Uh, downsides is that it's not like a permanent thing. It's reabsorbed into the body after a few weeks, which is by design because apparently body will start rejecting things because bodies are stupid. Uh, it's mainly used for like post-surgery stuff when people are in their most intense levels of pain and would, you know, need that to be reduced without necessarily slamming down downtowns of opiates. That does sound very cool. Yeah. Like they could just like do your surgery and stick in the pain relief and mm -hmm. it uh, makes the recovery way better. Yeah. Oh, I hope it uh, lives up to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, me too. All right. And one more story of a very adorable stray dog. Yeah, this one is my human interest thing that I'm trying to do more of. Uh, there's a stray dog in Georgia that's appointed himself the local crossing guard for young children crossing a busy intersection. They also have a human crosswalk guard, but uh, that human crosswalk guard just isn't enough for this dog. He runs alongside the kids. He barks viciously at any nearby cars until the kids are all the way on the other side of the road. And it's really adorable. And he's a very serious boy. 
And this is the country of Georgia, not the state. So don't get excited thinking you can just drive down there and see him. I I just want to say I'm opposed to human interest, but I am very much in favor of canine interest (laughs) and therefore in favor of this story. Cool. All right. More dog stories. All right. And that takes us to troop deployments. I'm willing to put wave after wave of men at your disposal. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we ask each of our hosts to send a soldier out onto the battlefield every episode. And as always, we'll start with David. Yeah, so uh, we talked about how the Second Amendment has chalked up a pretty big win uh, this Supreme Court session. And naturally, because some people don't want other people to have nice things, uh, there have been some cockamamie schemes to uh, reimpose the restrictions that the Supreme Court just said that uh, people couldn't have. I want to talk about two of these, because I think it's telling, um, I think it's the uh, gun prohibitionist crowd kind of saying the quiet part out loud. Um... So, in particular, these are the, uh, I can't remember the exact euphemism they're using, but something like good character requirements uh, California is talking about implementing, and red flag laws. The good character requirement California is talking about has said as an explicit criterion for uh, what they would be looking for when uh, deciding whether or not to issue concealed carry permits is whether people have uh, hateful and some other similar word um, beliefs and intentions as judged by their public social media posts. While this does reinforce my long-standing belief that you should not post anything on public social media, I also just want to say this is an obvious and flagrant violation of the First Amendment. Red flag laws are laws under which, uh, depending on the exact implementation, some combination of family members, uh, mental health professionals, and uh, other interested community members can report uh, people who they believe to be a danger to themselves and or others and who own firearms, and without any sort of hearing or due process, the police will enter these people's homes and seize their firearms. This is an obvious and flagrant violation of the Fourth Amendment, right? To be secure in your person and property, and not to be deprived of such without due process of law. So I wanted to talk about these, A, because they're just terrible on the face of it, but also B, because we've heard a lot of rhetoric from gun prohibitionists along the lines of, I respect constitutional rights, but I have long been of the opinion that gun prohibitionists are basically gaslighting America, and I have to say I appreciate this new turn in favor of these good character restrictions and uh, red flag laws, because that shows their bullshit to be what it has always been, namely just that bullshit. The people who want to take your fundamental rights to uh, uh, keep and bear arms don't care about any of your other rights either. And if you think that they'll stop at just the second, then you're wrong. And that's why you need to fight them for everything. Because if you don't fight them when they're trying to take your guns, then they won't stop. And you'll have to fight them when they're taking all of your other rights too. 
All right. Thank you, David. Eniash, what do you have for us? I have the observation that the long game is really long. Uh, this goes way back to when I was, again, fighting the atheism wars, and I was confused as to why the church would want people to just profess that they believe something, even if they don't. Uh, there was a pithy quote, I don't remember who said it, uh, probably Voltaire or someone, a man, uh, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Uh, rhymes and everything, so it's great. But, uh, it, it didn't seem to matter. The Catholic Church didn't care, and... I eventually was taught that uh, they don't care because they aren't trying to convince one individual person. They are playing a long game of generations. And as long as you pretend to be Christian in public, that is what your children and your grandchildren will pick up. And after a few generations, they will be effectively Christian regardless. Uh, which is interesting. Like, they don't care about the person. They care about the deep time effects of doing something. And this particularly uh, was a thing I was reminded of when Roe v. Wade was overturned with the Dobbs decision, because this has been a thing that the conservatives have been openly saying they are working for for 50 years. They... I, I'm... I'm under no impression that they played by the rules because they are good people. They played by the rules because they didn't have the power to challenge the rules. But they sat slowly bided their time, did things methodically uh, over lifetimes, knowing that a lot of them wouldn't see the results of what they were working on, and yet doing it anyway. And fucking 50 years later, here we are. It's it's evil, but it's also really impressive. And Justice Clarence Thomas, which I said, which I talked about earlier, doing the same kind of thing, which, again, I just find really interesting and impressive. And I'm used to coming from youth movements like New Atheism and... Uh, and rationalism, because those are mostly, you know, I, I was young at the time myself, so no big surprise. And there's a lot of great things about youth movements, like energy, uh, the the <laughs> passion, the willingness sometimes to commit violence and have riots and things, which I'm not as sold as being on good things anymore. But uh, they, they want results quickly and immediately so that they are not hurt right now. And for the most part, I strongly agree with that kind of thing. But... Uh, they seem to entirely neglect the long game, and it seems that that is a mistake. The long game is actually really damn important, and having old people from that have come from a long tradition of uh, traditional stuff uh, imposing long-thinking, slow, subtle maneuvers is an asset that a lot of the movements I've been in have completely overlooked, because they just didn't know they exist. So, long game is long. Consider Consider the long game sometimes. All right. Thank you, Eniash. Uh, and as I promised earlier, my troop deployment is that we should end the filibuster. Now, as we covered extensively, the Supreme Court is out of control. There are no great answers to what to do about their ridiculous questions of constitutional interpretation, but as we've been discussing, many of the questions they faced are questions of statutory interpretation, as in the Supreme Court is interpreting the language of laws passed by Congress. These decisions should not have such high stakes. The court is, after all, simply interpreting the will of Congress. If the court gets it wrong, Congress should be able to easily clarify what they meant. Take Bivens, for example. The court shouldn't have to decide whether individuals can sue the federal government for violations of their rights. Congress should decide that. 
A functional Congress would propose a law saying citizens can sue for rights violations and then vote yes or no. A functional Congress would do the same thing with qualified immunity or consider the EPA case. The courts should not be the final word on whether the Clean Air Act allows the EPA to regulate carbon emissions. Congress should just be able to say what they meant. But we can't do that because it takes 60 votes to get to the point where everyone votes yes or no and the minority party barely lets anything get past the filibuster. So instead, it falls to the courts to fill in the blanks in every law. This is asking too much of the courts. The courts are not experts at what Congress meant. Congress is the expert on what Congress means, and Congress should be the ones deciding what happens in edge cases. Courts will always need to interpret statutes, but if we untie Congress's hands, they can issue updates and tweaks to the laws when the courts get it wrong. This is the way the system was designed, and this is the way it should work now. The filibuster, in addition to all its other problems, screws this up and puts way too much pressure on the judiciary to fix the laws passed by Congress. Removing it will put the responsibility back on Congress where it belongs and lower the stakes of all non-constitutional Supreme Court decisions. Wonderful. All right, we made it, guys. That's the show. God, that was a long one. We got Two through... and a half hours? Yeah, we'll probably cut it down to two or so. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, but thank you, listeners, for sticking with us this far. Uh, remember to follow us wherever you follow podcasts. Ask, uh, Leave us reviews wherever you review podcasts. And subscribe on Substack. You'll get the episodes a day early. You'll get access to bonus episodes. And you'll get access to our subscriber-only Discord channel, um, where we were discussing with our subscribers uh, before this episode about whether we should do an all-Supreme Court episode. Um, and, you know, they they encouraged us to do so so here we are you could be part of that conversation um especially if you hated this episode and want to be like you shouldn't do that anymore uh and so we'll be back in two weeks same rat time same rat channel bye